Okay, everybody. Thanks a lot for joining us here. Another week goes by. I appreciate your listenership here. This is uh, Rick Wagner getting it right on Candy Z KGLN. And we appreciate your listenership here and also on the Internet and uh, on our podcasts and everything. You can get some of the stories we talk about here, of course, at our website at Rick Wagner Show, the Rick Wagner Show dot com. Uh, politicalviking.com gets you there if you're coming there from some of our uh, like Facebook page and so forth. And you could check out our Facebook page, too, Political Viking on Facebook. We have a lot of folks that check in on it, really starting to enjoy it. We're going to start putting a little more effort into it, too, to get more information out to you guys. So I want to wax a bit uh, local in this situation here. Uh, so, but, it, but I think it's a universal tale. And that is that uh, we had a local election here. And we had a municipal election, which are always a bit dodgy. They're a little hard to read. I mean, elections in general are hard to read. And the more local they become, sometimes they, oddly enough, get more difficult because you don't have anything like polling. Not that you can trust polling anymore, but you get like nothing out there. And you just get a feel for like trying to talk to people in the community and try and look at things that, uh, I mean, people look at yard signs and this and that. But I don't really put any stock in that. Um, I know that people want to do it get their name out there, and I think you have to do some of it. But by and large, yard signs, uh, billboards, and things like that, and in a lot of elections in small to even medium-sized cities, I think have a pretty limited use. And in this one, we had uh, three city council seats up. Now, people are working pretty hard to make some changes in our city council here because it's terrible, and it is also a city manager system and is a complete city manager system, which means that City Council can do nothing except pass ordinances uh, and hire the city manager and fire the city manager as well as they can do the same with the city attorney. After that, they don't have any real say about personnel at all. So as I've discussed in the show before, in these kinds of systems, the people that run the departments that you're interested in, everything from law enforcement to fire to trash to you know zoning, don't work for you. They work for the city manager who has the power to hire and fire them all the time. Your concern might be a secondary one to them if the city manager gets enough blowback that somebody on the council manages to rouse themselves and, what's happening? You know, something like that. But other than that, uh, it's a terrible system for anything but a very small town. And these systems are made for small towns when you're trying to keep personalities out of every decision and kind of filter it through a professional. But as soon as you become anything of any kind of size, like maybe over six or 7,000 people, you need to get out of that thing and start getting direct representation so that you can hire and fire the people yourself that are responsible for this stuff. As it sits, you know, when you have a city council, they're just sort of, you know, wandering aimlessly around. They don't have any real effect on any things in any immediate sense. People were upset about it years ago that we didn't have a mayor, so they started calling a person on the council the mayor. Well, there is no mayor in our town. If you look at the charter of the city, the person who signs everything and runs the meetings is called the president of the council. They just decided to start calling themselves a mayor. They don't have any power like a mayor. It's clearly a charade to try and make people who aren't paying attention think, oh, well, we have a mayor. He'd be taking care of them things. No, that's not how that happens. It's a uh, charade that the city manager uses to hide behind. And it happens in many cities that have this kind of system. When we had a election, we had a slate of candidates here that were pretty much all Republican. Now, this is a nonpartisan election. In most states... Nonpartisan elections, particularly in places that are more red, like where I come from, you know, more of a Republican place, nonpartisan means elect Democrats. And they're desperate to make them nonpartisan. Now, in this situation, it was a little different because 
they ran kind of as a slate. And I think that the, the progressives in the city, uh, use that against them. And I, I think it's, it's a clever ploy. You, you have to give people their due. When things are effective, whether or not you like the way they were done, you have to understand them and either come up ways to counter them or use them yourself. We've been very, very behind times as conservatives in doing this because we don't like doing some of the things that the progressives do. Now, we don't have to do everything they do, but when it comes in, in terms of getting the vote out, of making your case, of trying to figure out how to run an election where everything's mail-in now, you have to look at the people that set the rules because they set the rules. In this situation, I think they did an effective job of branding one of the candidates as being a, a, you know, affiliated with the school board, which was elected the last election, uh, and it was a conservative bunch. So they managed to turn out every, every uh, union member they possibly could. Also, pretty much all three of the Republican slash conservative candidates uh, had a couple of things that they agreed on. And one, I think, is that they wanted to get rid of the city manager and possibly the city attorney. I didn't talk about them particularly. Now, the problem with that is that in this system, everybody works for them. The city clerk, the, you know, the old elections division, the, all those kinds of folks work for the city manager. So it's easy to become un, uneasy about elections where a lot of the election is about, or at least an undertone of it is about changing the person who's in charge of the people running the election. So you, if you're going to be that person running the election, you have to make sure it's ran really, really well because people are going to be suspicious of it, right? And in this particular situation, in one of the races, there was a whole lot of votes counted. I don't have it in front of me, over 300 and some that were uh, sort of thrown out. And it was a close race in that, at least as far as we can tell, between the head of the uh, one of the heads of the, the Democrat Party and the former head of the, a long-time head of the Chamber of Commerce. It surprised me if that race was that close. Apparently it was. But it seems to me, without looking at the figures, that the margin, I think, of victory there was a little over 200 votes, and they threw out like 370 for some reason. And it's disturbed people because they can't quite understand in a race that close why did they throw out all that many votes? And there may be a good reason for that. I don't want to be too conspiratorial. But they're not getting much uh, sunshine in those decisions. And so it's made a lot of people upset that they're not getting through to, well, what happened here? This seems a little odd. And given the tone of the race and who's running what, it's a little bit like if instead of the states counting the votes in a presidential election, if everybody submitted their ballots to someone that worked for Joe Biden, right? <laughs> and the people running in those elections, uh, one of the planks they were running on uh, was at least arguably maybe to get rid of Joe Biden. And so you, if you're going to have that kind of race, you need to make sure that things are as clean as possible. And like people say, transparent, which, by the way, I hate that term. They've just overused it. Today. But in this situation, it's probably true. You need to be able to see how things happen. And increasingly, the electoral process has become a black box. And I don't mean the kind of black box you get in an airplane. I mean the kind of black box where you put something in one end of it and something pops out of some other place and you don't know what happened inside the box. 
uh, is there a squirrel in there doing it? Uh, is there uh, artificial intelligence? Is there uh, someone in there, uh, you know, sending it to China? <laughs> I'm being facetious, but it, it's having it non-visible and not having people really able to observe the process in a meaningful way or go back in and take a look at it is a very, you know, become a very common thing. So wherever you folks are at, one of the things we have to do is to make sure that not just the process we use to get the votes out, and we'll talk about that too. Uh, I've got some ideas based on some stories that have came out recently about the voting systems and that the Democrats have been using and some of the things that Republicans have been trying that have been more or less successful. But we have to insist that there has to be some sort of uh, at least two sides of uh, of an issue or candidates that are able to observe what's going on. Now, now in partisan elections, it's a little more difficult because you know you can't say we're well, a Republican and a Democrat because no one's running as a Republican or Democrat, right? Wink, wink. So who gets to be election reservers? And they don't really have them. But I can tell you this. Having any kind of election at any time that leaves people wondering what's going on and was that election all the up and up or was people get sloppy or anything like this is going to create problems. And the minute you have mistrust in government, you have a lot of problems. And like I've said before, two things hold the republic up. Faith in the justice system that it's okay, not great, but okay. Faith in the electoral system for the same reason. Both of them are failing. Okay, everybody, we're back. Thanks a lot for sticking with us. We appreciate that a lot here. And I was just looking over my notes here of uh, oh, some things we wanted to talk about. And I'm trying to skip around to things that aren't too depressing. Oh, here's something that will cheer everybody up. Uh, China is apparently uh, ready to fight after drills near uh, Taiwan. Um, China ready to fight. <laughs> Nothing quite like that. And the headline for that story is this is on our website, too. You can get it at politicalviking.com. The theater's troops are ready to fight at all times and can fight at any time to resolutely smash any form of Taiwan independence and foreign interference attempts, China said on Monday, earlier this week. I just saved that because, oh, you know, I mean, and all these things about uh, transgenderism and Bud Light using Dylan Mulvaney as a uh, as an avatar for their brand, apparently, that uh, we sort of let this this, this lower tier stuff, like the threat of uh, war with China, China attacking Taiwan, and uh, cutting off 90% of the chip supply that we use in the United States for our various electronic products. Uh, you can forget those seat heaters in your new car if that's going to happen, to say nothing about any phones and things like that. And, uh, you know, we have to look down. I mean, we realize the important things, uh, maternity suits for pilots, uh, the proper pronouns at various places. Those are, but those are what's important. What's going on in these other places? Oh, jeez, you know, I mean, we can't be worried about China all the time. I mean, come on. You know, I think, I think the president, Joe Biden, said, uh, said, well, they're not a threat. You know, they're not a threat at all. Well, not a threat in his mind. I mean, you know, by the time they get through the cobwebs, they probably get so bored they'd leave. But this is, uh, this is a serious problem. I don't think there's any doubt that there's going to be some sort of move in Taiwan probably in the next, oh, I guess we could probably say within the next, I think within the next year and a half, especially if they think that Joe Biden might not run again or win again. Now, if they think it's going to be Kamala, I'm sure they'll wait until they're ready to have the furniture picked out and everything else when they move into Taiwan. But um, if they're afraid to say Trump might win, they may uh, step up the game plan a little bit and uh, do it while Joe's still there gazing out the window, imagining that he's uh, Irish and uh, 
He may be Irish. I don't know. I don't think he knows either. He sort of adopts these things. Remember he discussed how he grew up in a Jewish neighborhood and then he uh, practically grew up in the black church and uh, that he um, realized that he was for gay marriage when he was in high school. Uh, there's a there's a lot of things about Joe that uh, we don't know. And most of those things Joe didn't know either until he made them up. And uh, he's resolute about that. I mean, he tells the same stories about himself. They're always about himself. And they've been disproven. I mean, even the fact checkers on the left have said, you know, that story's not true. Like the one about the uh, conductor on the railroad talking about how many miles he'd ridden when it turned out that the conductor would have retired eight years before his story and that it was just a whole there's not even just one problem there's the whole thing is is a mistake uh in his brain i guess so uh, he's been over uh, in ireland where he's wandered around and had dogs bark at him and in the meantime china is ready to fight so we'll see what happens there i'm sure you have a lot of confidence in like the joint chiefs of staff people and the military now that uh you know, left, uh, what, $80 billion of equipment and training materials in uh, Afghanistan. So they're ready. And those, of course, materials have been turning up. We did a story about that, I don't know, I want to say about two, three, maybe three months ago, uh, where uh, some people in sub-Saharan Africa have been complaining because American arms have been turning up in the hands of these uh, terrorists in their own countries. And they want to know where they're coming Well, we know where they're coming from. And you may remember about five, six months ago, maybe now, that there was a, an... A cargo plane flying out of Ukraine that crashed in Greece, and its cargo was American weapons. Where were they going? Were they just circling maybe the uh, Mediterranean area, and they're going to return back to Ukraine, sort of give the give our weapons kind of a the bird's eye view? It's kind of a tourist thing, you know. I mean, they want them to feel at home. But uh, so, how hard is this to really figure out what's going on? I mean, how hard is it really? It's not hard at all. Anyway, I wanted to bring that up to uh, you guys about this China thing because we did have some more China maneuvers this week. And they don't get well reported. You have to really kind of look around to get the full understanding of it. And so I I spent a little time reading some of the military sites and so forth. You know, China has the largest navy in the world now. Yeah, that's encouraging. They also have the largest army in the world. That by itself isn't necessarily the determining factor. But they're rapidly catching us up in terms of technology. And remember that one of the things that sometimes works better is not to be flying, in this case flying, I'm thinking about our aircraft or even on our ships, uh, that are essentially Murphy's Law machines, right? I mean, you all have your cell phones and your laptops and whatever else you're using. Some of you are smart enough to minimize that. But how many things are they susceptible to in terms of functioning properly? the more complex they become. I mean, this is the nature of systems. They become Murphy's Law machines, as I said. The more things that can go wrong in them, especially when they're relatively new, we all love the new, the new tricky thing. And the military is no different. They love that. And some of our equipment has been quite advanced. And if you read about what it's supposed to do, it's pretty cool. Then if you poke a little deeper into it and see, does does it really do that? Well, yeah, sometimes for a few minutes it does that until it breaks down. And then you get into how many hours some of this equipment is usable before it has to be repaired or refurbished or just plain serviced. And some of these lengths of time on this very complex equipment is not very impressive. Uh, I remember when uh, I was reading about some tank uh, statistics. Oh, this was several years ago. 
and some of our most advanced tanks really need, and this is a, a quality of all tanks, and those of you that have served in the military and worked around tanks, like especially at Fort Knox or someplace like that, understand the immense amount of maintenance that has to be done on a tank. And if you think about it, just like, see, see you guys actually, a lot of you actually have jobs and make things, do things, work with things. A lot of these other people you know, that sit and pontificate around tables made of glass on cable television have never done any of that. But if you look at a tank and look at the moving parts on it, look at the treads, the, the tracks rather, treads, the tracks on it, the complex system that makes those turn, uh, the very complicated transmission in most of the newer tanks so that they can maneuver fast, so that they can actually, at a, a terrifying speed, they also can maneuver the cannon, which is the top structure of the turret. Uh, while they're moving, they can move them very quickly. They can have a recoilless effect on uh, the barrel of the gun. I mean, there's all sorts of things in these things. That there's a ton of moving parts on one of those things. And as a result, they have to be maintained. Now, they're a little bit like the Tin Man, aren't they? You have to get your oil can out and make sure all those moving parts are well lubricated. You also have to have a fairly extensive line of logistics to be able to service these kinds of weapons. This is something that people never seem to understand. That logistical support for the military in general is one of the most important things you can have. You can have a tremendously powerful army in the field, and when they get hungry and there's no food, things start changing pretty fast. Uh, or if they run out of ammunition, or if they run out of logistical supplies for the equipment. Any of that makes that army much less effective, and in some cases, depending on what their mission is and how heavily relying on equipment, can render them almost useless and vulnerable to attack. And we seem to be running out of these things. We've been shipping so much stuff to the Ukraine. How many times have you heard about that we're that we're running out of ammunition and some equipment, and we're low on missiles? And, of course, we're low on, uh, what is it, oil. That's right, yeah, because uh, the Biden administration is pumping oil out of the strategic oil reserve like nobody's business. I guess it isn't our business. <laughs> we should just shut up. That's right. Uh, to try and keep gas prices down around the last election especially, and they haven't refilled it yet. And we're, I think we're at the lowest level in that since the 80s. And so all of these factors can come into or be able to project force. And in the meantime, the Chinese have been massing this, massing this. And remember, Taiwan, not very far away. Don't have to burn a lot of gas to get there if you're in China. we got to burn a lot to get there. We have to take some time to get there unless we have station uh, fleet around that area. Now, China launched their first aircraft carrier last year, I think, and they're working on their second. We have, I think, four in the region. Now, there's a lot of debate about aircraft carriers and their effectiveness. And rather, in today's environment with the new types of uh shore to ship missiles if they aren't pretty vulnerable to that, to say nothing about the air to ship stuff and all that things. But they must be thought of to be pretty effective for the Chinese when be building them. But they still have the largest navy. And what they showed us this week was that it appears that instead of just landing troops and charging up the beaches, which would be pretty difficult in Taiwan. I mean, there's no question that that kind of invasion would have a high casualty rate unless they just pounded the island to nothing. And they don't want to do that. They want to have it like Hong Kong. They want to take over all of that chip production, all of the uh, financial center that it is, and not just blow it up. So really one of the things they did, and this is what they practiced this week, is a naval blockade. And we've talked about it before. That's what makes sense. 
They pretty much surrounded the island, blockaded the shipping, and said that that's what they would intend to do if there was a problem, and they would be boarding other people's ships to make sure nothing was going in and out that they didn't approve of. And with the projection of force that they have and the size of their navy, if they concentrate it there, it's pretty rough for us to be able to do much about that, especially now. So it's worth keeping your eye on what's going on in Taiwan. And I know we get reports from the news and everything, but I think that this will be the flashpoint that we're all really going to see happens. And I don't believe we're prepared at all. I know Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State for Trump, said, well, we need to put troops there. And some people have said that that's not a bad idea because it makes the Chinese think a lot harder about what they're doing if we have troops stationed on the island. It also sucks us into the conflagration a lot faster. So that's a good question. Okay, buddy, we're back. Rick Wagner here, getting it right on Kansas Z, KGLN, all across western Colorado, eastern Utah, the Internet, the podcasting places. Uh, there's so many of them. Uh, you can find us pretty easily. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this or not because I thought it was pretty cool. I think I did, actually. I don't hate to you know, go on and on about myself. But I tried uh, just asking for, you know, my uh, Alexa device to play the Rick Wagner podcast. And it just started playing the last podcast. It was pretty cool. Uh, I realized I'm pretty obscure, so I figured, compared to some of the things, so I figured that was uh, kind of a neat thing. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to listen to the show if you miss it or if you want to send it to somebody else. You know, it's just something to think about. Now, speaking of things to think about, let's change the uh, let's change the topic from the China conflagration that we will probably be undergoing, and let's talk about voting again. I know it's so it's so, I mean, repeated. I I'm I'm aware of that, but it's so important. Here's something that was pretty interesting. Now, most of you know that Wisconsin had an election. Wisconsin elects their judges, and I have mixed feelings about that. I don't like the way our judges are appointed. And I think that electing judges can be a problem, too. Although, if you get a screwy enough governor like we have and have had in the past, uh, it would be hard to have someone get elected to, a, say, the Supreme Court or the Appellate Court, uh, in particular, that is much screwier than they're who they're going to appoint anyway. So maybe the election is probably a better bet. But anyway, so they elect the justices to their Supreme Court. And there was a conservative running. And then there was a uh, very liberal woman running. And the very liberal woman won. And it was a little bit of a blowout in the sense. There were several points separating them, which I, I don't think was really a blowout per se, but it was a distinct margin, and they really thought it was closer than that. So a lot of people were running around, you know, what happened in Wisconsin and stuff. Because, as I said before, what makes this so difficult is these judges... And this is, this is happening. I mean, Biden is polluting the bench all over the United States in these federal appointments. And you've seen some of these things on various websites where, oh, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana questions him over really hard parts of the Constitution, like, you know, the articles of the Constitution, which the, uh, which describe, you know, the early articles of the Constitution describe the branches of government. So someone wants to be on the Supreme Court or a Circuit Court of Appeals, which is, right below the Supreme Court in terms of uh, what kinds of cases it handles. And they didn't seem to know that, or a, a number of other things, frankly. So they're not being appointed because they have particularly great sterling credentials in the sense of, do you know what you're talking about? I don't care where they went to school. I know lots of people who went to Ivy League schools that I have no faith in whatsoever. I don't mean like that I think they're deficient in a few things. I mean, I don't think they know what they're talking about at all. And 
we're getting those people on the bench. And so what makes that important is so many things are going through the courts now. We know that the left, if they cannot get something done at the ballot box, they go through the courts. And so when you have the courts friendly to you, especially when these Supreme Courts in various states, and of course our Supreme Court and our federal courts, are interpreting the Constitution. And that's just what it sounds like. It's an interpretation. And when you get someone whose understanding of it is either skewed or they really don't care what the Constitution is all about, they just pretzel it around until they get where they want to, it becomes difficult to have a functioning constitutional republic because look at what gets sent there. Uh, maps for congressional districts. They get decided by these courts. This is one of the things we're really worried about in Wisconsin. Redistricting, and with this woman on the court now, there is a progressive majority of uh, justices on that Supreme Court. They'll be hearing these kinds of cases and also about Voting, well, next time there's voting, we should keep them open all night, and we should do this, and we should do that. We should only count votes, you know, that have one corner turned down, but not two corners. You know, I mean, we're going to get a lot of crazy stuff out of people like this. So as a consequence, that election in Wisconsin, which is really a swing state, I mean, it's been running to the Republican side a bit this last couple of elections, but it's a swing state. I mean, you know, it was a problem with the, with the Biden case, but in, in general... And everybody's saying, oh, Scott Walker, the former governor, his, his impression, it's gone now. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're going to elect progressives. Well, if we let them do this, they are. And so a lot of people are wondering, well, what went wrong? What, what, what kind of screwy stuff was going on in Wisconsin? Well, a lot of it is, and, and we hate to say it, but it is inability of the, it's just an inability of the Republicans to adopt what the type of campaigning and Ballot harvesting, they don't like that the other side does. Unfortunately, that's the rules now. But here's, this is an interesting story. Apparently there were, uh, <laughs> these non-governmental organizations, in other words, some of these not-for-profits out there, they get organized and then funded through some of these very large, oh, uh, groups that do nothing but fund other groups and they get their money from people like Soros and so forth. Soros has to go through those as we discussed, you know, because he's not a citizen, so he has to give it to someone else who then can give it to a political organization. He can't contribute directly, but it's clear what's happening. Anyway, these groups, uh, apparently there's some discussion. They had ballot bounties, which sounds kind of interesting. Uh, And the headline was, Wisconsin lawmaker flags payments used to mobilize voters for liberal judge. Community mobilizers. Now, is a community mobilizer, is that better? Is that like above a community organizer? I don't know. It sounds as though that they, they have a car issued them or something, or a scooter at any rate. But they could make as much as $270 by creating a list of 75 people and making sustained efforts to turn out 60 of them to vote in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election. So they were paying these community mobilizers $270 if they got 75 people on a list and managed to turn 60 of them out to vote. Now, they're going to be trying to find people that they're pretty sure are going to vote their way. Think about how that works. It's it's just a, a shade away from just plain buying votes, isn't it? It's in a sense buying people to buy vote to get votes for you. And now this doesn't include the ballot harvesting and going and picking these votes up and taking them and dropping them off and having drop boxes all over the place and 
than having crazy rules that seem to pop up about, oh, we need to keep it open longer, and then, oh, look what we discovered in the trunk of a Buick out in the parking lot at uh, the Circle K, a bunch of ballots. Oh, and what about, how strange is that 70% of the ballots we discover right at the very end are for the Democrat. It's bad enough we have those, but this is just, you know, I mean, look, let's take a step back from whether we like it or not. These guys are quite willing to spend lots of money to do things that are just dancing on the razor's edge of bizarre and uncomfortable behavior around voting, but they're doing it. And how many of these, who knows? One of the things we've talked about here before that the Democrats do is they use this ERIC system and I think over 20 states subscribed to it. And it was a system set up, once again, by a non-governmental organization to help various states clean the ballots, you know, to make, to, to, you know, do what we'd like to see our Secretary of State do, which is get rid of people that supposedly haven't voted in, you know, 20 years. Uh, get rid of those or, and do a little checking on some of them that, where there's weird stuff going on. But what has turned out is this system is accessed right to the, uh, the voting that goes on in the states. Now, this isn't something we can have conspiratorial about and say, oh, well, they're changing the vote count. This isn't, that doesn't, isn't the issue. What they're doing is they're getting real-time voting information. They can say, you know, how many people are voting and where they're voting and essentially who. Because it, it sounds kind of creepy, but we could do that now. I mean, you can look at the voting rolls and say, okay, has Joe Jones voted yet? And if he hasn't, uh, should we go try and knock on his door and see if we can get him to vote? The issue in the past has been by the time you get those things out, uh, it, it was sometimes the election's over. Now, now that we have election month, uh, it's a little, you can do a little bit more with it. But this is an electronic system. And if you can get that, that kind of data dumped into a system of your own, where you've had some computer programmers able to separate that stuff out fast and say, okay, we want to know how many people have voted in this district, right? Uh, and see who voted in that district, because we know this district is very pro-Democrat. So let's focus on it and try and get a very high turnout in that. And people who haven't voted, let's call them. And if we can't call them, let's go to their door and say, hey, have you voted? And if you're in a state where you love ballot harvesting, say, hey, look, if you'll just fill your ballot out, I'll take it and make sure it gets in. So that's quite the effort, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, it's it's pretty much walking in, you know, and, and moving someone's arms and legs to get them to vote. And then when you take that kind of information that you have and then you monetize it uh, so that people make money just by contacting people to make sure they vote. And where do they get the list to make sure they vote? Well, they're supposed to come up with them. You can come up with them from these systems right off your secretaries of states. And once again, it's not something that other people can't do. It's something that they haven't. And these guys have gotten very good at it. And the idea that they monetize this vote getting out thing is, I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me, but it's legal. And what a great operation this is. Now, I know we don't like it and we hate doing it because it seems creepy and it seems, you know, like you're forcing people to vote. You're calling them. People are going by their houses. You're often pick up their votes in ballot harvesting states. Colorado's ballot harvesting. You can get up to 10 votes from somebody and dump them off. California, you can get a dump truck full of them and dump them off. So what an effective use of that it is to have that real-time information. 
You know, we notice that it's only a week out from the election. You haven't had a chance to vote. Have you had an opportunity to vote? You know, I mean, just reminding them. And if nothing else, if you're really trying to think it's a close election, that people show up. And if you don't like it, if I'm guessing, if someone shows up to your door to ask about if you voted or not, and I think they probably still get a lot of people slamming the door on their face, but they get some results. And if they get an extra 3 to 5% people voting, and if they can choose people that are registered as Democrats, let's say, or in a heavily Democratic district, and they've registered as Democrats, especially if they voted in the past but haven't voted now, or if they vote sporadically, you can still push them forward. Then, well, how does that stop anybody from just going out and pressuring this vote? And that's what's happening. And we're having a hard time doing it because it feels so uncomfortable to us. But it's being done. We have to start understanding it. And when you see what's going on in Wisconsin, in a race like this, with a ton of money went into this, you know, Supreme Court race from all over the place. Um, once again, Republicans don't usually send money to their states as often as Democrats do. That's that's just a reality. I know what comes up lots of times is this feeling that you hate to fight fire with fire. And this idea that <laughs> you turn into the people you're trying to get on the other side of. You know, use their tactics too much, pretty soon become them. I don't think that's the case here. I think that you have a new game, and they put new rules in, and you got to play by them, or you're not going to win. Now, it's like... <laughs> Excuse me, I had to cough into the uh, microphone there. It's a little bit like when they changed the in-the-grasp rule of quarterbacks 20-some years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. A lot of the defensive players certainly didn't like that. They also didn't like it when they changed the rules about the way they use your hands as a defensive player. But if they didn't figure that out, they're just going to get one penalty after another, and they're going to lose the game. It's a little bit like we are now. They keep changing the rules. We're just as good at it as they are, perhaps better. Oops, someone's someone's trying to call me here. Let me turn that down. Okay, I got that turned down. Yes, that's just part of the professionalism that we offer here at the Rick Wagner Show, uh, the ability to make everything seem just like it's being done all the time. As I've said in the past, one of our goals here is to conduct the show in such a way that you feel like anybody could do it. You know, you know like we're looking down on anybody. <laughs> And so not only am I, you know, uh, coughing in the microphone without unexpectedly, but I thought I'd turn the phone off, and I think I actually turned it on. So I apologize for that interruption. But to get back to it, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. This is a very old saying, and it's true. Unfortunately, that's what we're at. We're in this country. These are the rules that they've changed, and they rely on our stubbornness to make things easier for them. Now, there's several things that they do have some advantages in we have to concentrate on. One of them is, of course, money. I mean, they're getting a huge amount of money from tech titans, uh, the Soros's of the world, various people who want to signal their virtue by dumping money into progressive causes they don't even understand half the time. They certainly don't understand the consequences. And then they complain about the consequences. It's like, well, you know, what's going on? Uh, you know, people are getting killed on the stoop and they're selling drugs and there's a guy camping in my backyard that waves a stick at me when I go ask him what he's doing. You know, well, what do you think caused that? Do you think maybe it was, you know, helping to elect all these politicians? They don't seem to make those connections very well. Nevertheless, they have a lot of that. And the way it really manifests itself is in the campaign organizations. And I don't mean the campaigns necessarily for the individual candidates. 
but the people are working to put forth an agenda that work on a broad range of campaigns for various candidates and causes. And what sets them apart are probably two things. One is it's much easier to mobilize a bunch of uh, Democrats, or certainly progressives, to get out and do things because that is their natural state of mind is to complain and gather together and submit things, you know, uh, petitions, demands, apparently march into the state houses and nothing happens to you and, you know, things like that. So they have a little bit of advantage there. We're just a little more, a little more to ourselves. We'd like, you know, our whole idea of our Constitution is that it's the right to be left alone, which, of course, is changing radically. Uh, now the right to be left alone is uh, a tiny little slice of life. Everything else seems to be the government's business, particularly the federal government, sometimes state government, depending on where you're at. In California, apparently everything you do is everybody's business, unless you, you're in the country illegal or something, and then you can do whatever you want. Um, I mean, I hear that from Victor Davis Hansen's podcasts and discussions all the time about how overregulated everybody is, but at the same time, people are on the sides of the road, selling everything from fruits to clothing to barbecue grills and all sorts of stuff, and they don't have a sales tax license. They're not paying any sales tax. They don't have any kind of license, They're, and no one seems to care because there's no real money in it. There's, it doesn't do you any good to write a citation to someone who either doesn't have any money or has no intention of paying it because there's no way you can track them. They're, they're ghosts in some instances, right? You just, you know, if you hassle them enough, they'll just go find another corner. In the meantime, you're driving down the street with an address and a job and uh, some assets that people understand where they're at. And you get stopped or you get cited for some crazy citation, you know, that uh, you're driving uh, while uh, in an internal combustion engine and you're fined $1,000 or whatever will happen one of these days. You can't just blow it off. So they're over, over-regulated on one side and ignored on the others. And so how this manifests itself, you know, in this, this attitude on the left and getting the vote out and things like that is that they can hire a lot of people to do work. We usually work with a lot more volunteers, not that many paid people. They have a lot of people. They stick on payrolls. But the real advantage, because we have great volunteers, too. Here in my county, we've had some really good volunteers that really work their fingers to the bone on some stuff. But the advantage is in the technical side and in the analysis side. They will spend money on people to set up computer programs uh, to do just what we were talking about, let you know where voting trends are, who's voted, who hasn't, all of these kinds of things, to organize all this whole thing and to analyze voting patterns, to analyze who's voted, when they voted, how often they vote, what are they susceptible to, what does their zip code look like in terms of their voting patterns, all that kind of stuff. They spend a lot of money and time breaking that stuff down and giving it to the people, not just the paid people, but to the volunteers, so they're much more effective in their time. We're not doing that. We really have a scattershot approach to this stuff in many in, in many areas uh, with the get-out-the-vote efforts. We have people who are really working hard, spending their own time, and sometimes it's their own money, to try and do that, but they don't have the right tools. And in the meantime, the higher-ups in our Republican Party seem to spend the money they get in on some unusual stuff. Certainly the National Party has some very questionable extend, expenditures. We just haven't seized the technical and analytical piece like we need to. I mean, the last one I saw, and I hate to bring this up because I, I'm not a Carl Rowe fan at all, 
But Karl Rove's last gasp at relevancy was working the campaign for George H.W., especially his, uh, his first, second term, where he had analyzed. Now, these things are not nearly as important as they used to be. Karl Rove really was his, in his element with direct mail and analyzing small voting groups throughout a large area. Like he started out with uh, George W. in Texas and breaking everything down by, you know, in a pretty impressive way to say, you know, these, this three blocks votes this way, that way, and then doing direct mail and contacts like that. That's sort of the same philosophy that we need to use now, only the mail is not really particularly effective. We're still using it, but it's not nearly as effective as other, other more technical targeted ways. And that was effective for him. They did a good job. I mean, Karl Rove did a good job. I mean, you remember that George W. called in the architect and this and that. He's been writing that ever since. I haven't heard him be particularly right about too many things since then. And the fact that they have been using him as a political analyst on some of these places when policy was never his thing. This is what's interesting about it. He's a senior advisor in this net, but he's a campaigner. And I think he's kind of, you know, yesterday's news in the campaign stuff. And he certainly was never a policy analyst. And he is been misused on these things. But anyway, that kind of analysis and approach is what works. It worked then and you just upgrade it to the what we to the technology we have now, to people's cell phones, websites, uh advertising on various things. If you get into looking at Google, and I've done this, uh, their ability to target people is eerie. And some of it's wrong, I think by the way, I think the way they break people down. But they track your uh, search habits, and to some extent, you know, websites and things you visit. And a lot of this stuff is, sure, it's creepy, but you've given them permission to do that. For some of the free stuff they give you, uh, the search engine that you get to use for free, the, you know, some of this other stuff that pops up, um, they run that by. And not only do they sell that to advertisers, but they use it themselves to create interest groups that then they sell to ad- that they let advertisers access. So say you want to, you know, come up with a new car part that you have. Well, Google will tell you that you can target people who visit websites having to do with automobiles, and that's where your ad will be more likely to show up. Now, you may have to pay extra to have that happen, depending on how it's working, but that kind of stuff happens all the time. And there's a lot of other things out there uh, in the technological area that are very useful in campaigning. We've got to get out there and get on them. And I'm sorry to belabor this. It's interesting, by the way. The more you dig around in it, the more interesting it is. It's a little, little chilling, but it's interesting. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more next week about the policies out there. But you know, let's get our act together and show these guys we're as good or better at it than them.